Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. So, has this happened to you? You are late in your pregnancy or you just had a baby and you walk into a room and you're like, why did I even come in here? Or as one of the mothers in postnatal the other day told me, she put on two different shoes as she came to the studio. So there is something you may have heard of, mommy brain, and it is a little bit about forgetfulness, but as my guest is going to talk about, Mommy Brain is really a powerful superpower. We're going to rebrand Mommy Brain. Instead of thinking about it in the negative, let's look at some of the amazing things the Mommy Brain can do. So having this conversation today is Dr. Jody, Jody Palowski. Let me tell you a little bit about Jody. So she's a behavioral neuroscientist, therapist, and author based in France. For over a decade, Jody has studied the neuroscience of motherhood and the effects of perinatal mental illness and antidepressant medications on the mother and developing offspring. She regularly speaks nationally and internationally about her research findings, as well as the fascinating effects of parenting on the brain. And we really dive into that, not just on the person that birthed the baby, but on the partner, adoptive parents, the dad. So Jody's also a postpartum support international coordinator for France and a member of the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative, and she has her own podcast called Mommy Brain Revisited. So Jody and I have a really great conversation about what is happening with the brain late in pregnancy, after baby, the environment that we're dealing with, the chaos, as well as the impact of having a baby and parenting decades later. Once a parent, always a parent. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Before we get to my chat with Jody, I just want to touch base on some of the things happening at Prenatal Yoga Center. So a lot of people are asking, is our schedule changing? So we're continuously adding more in-studio classes. I was actually talking to my husband about this the other day, about how the business that we entered the pandemic with is not really the business we have now. It is absolutely expanded. So prior to the pandemic, we had our studio on the Upper West Side and, you know, every now and then we'd have people from outside one of the outside of Manhattan or or one of the other boroughs coming in, maybe for a special occasion. But what's really amazing is our our doors are wide open now. Our walls have been busted open. So while we're still in our brick and mortar place having a, a wonderful time meeting people in person, we're also continuing our online classes. And I'm so proud of the seamless way we have created created our hybrid classes. So I often teach in the studio and online. And while I'm in the studio, I'm connecting with the folks there, but we're also very much connecting with the people at home. They're still involved in circle time. 
I have a monitor right next to my mat, so I'm still seeing their poses where they're included in conversations. So it's just exciting to see how things have really changed, how our classroom it's just expanded so much. And it's just, it's really a joy and an honor to be able to see how things have shifted. So we have in-person classes almost every day, six days a week at this point, And we have online classes seven days a week. So no matter where you are, I got you covered for some prenatal and postnatal yoga. So check us out, prenatalyogacenter.com. And then don't forget for the days that you can't make into the studio, grab your free downloadable five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. Now we've also changed how we teach our teacher training. So twice a year, we're going to be doing our training in New York City at our studio. And then twice a year, we're doing it online. And I know this is going to be dropped later than I'm recording it, but right now we're about to start our November and December training as I'm recording this. And what's amazing is we have people from not just all over the country, but all over the world. And it's just fascinating to see that this work is now going to be brought to so many communities. So if you're a yoga teacher and you're interested in taking a very deep dive into supporting the pregnant person, check out our teacher training. And then the last thing I want to do is just to thank you. Thank you for being part of our community. Thank you to those that leave a rating and review. And thank you for simply listening and lending your ear. And I'm hoping that what we're offering is supporting you, whether you are pregnant or thinking of getting pregnant or heading into birth or you're a new parent. Thank you for being part of our community. And it's my true honor to support you. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about mommy brain. Hi, Jody. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'm really excited to chat. So I found you by just scrolling through Instagram. And when I saw what you were talking about, it really piqued my interest. So I thought, wow, mommy brain. All right, let's dive into that. So I guess we should just jump in. If you don't mind just telling me a little bit about yourself and then what led you to focusing on neuroscience and motherhood? Mm, Okay. Um, Yeah. So let's just jump in, dive in a little bit about me. I'm... um, I'm a neuroscientist. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a mom of two, um, Canadian living in France. And, um, yeah, I've, you know, I've been really always interested in, I guess, mom baby interactions. I grew up on a small farm in, uh, British Columbia, Canada, and we often in the spring, of course, had lots of baby things around. And I think it's always really intrigued with the behavior and the interaction between mom and mom and baby and uh, in, in the animals we had. And, and so then when I went on to university, I became really interested also in the hormones, Mm -hmm. brain and behavior and what a better kind of more fascinating intersection between the three. Um, I mean, the most interesting I think is during pregnancy and the postpartum period. And so to, to be able to study hormones, the brain and behavior uh, in this context, it was really something that I've become quite passionate about. So how did that start? Like, so you, that's how you started because of the farm and, and the, then in university, but what was it about just jumping in? So how did that path, what did that path look like? Yeah. So it, well, you know, in fact, during, um, my third year of university, I was working on a project in language development where we were looking at how parents help kids learn words. Mm-hmm. And there was something really interesting to me about 
focusing on that aspect of development, the parent's role. And, and then I became, I started, you know, through my courses and, and things started to be interested really in this transition to parenthood and, and what, why does it go well? And then why doesn't it go well, essentially? And, and in terms of brain health, I did a, a undergrad in, in biopsychology, a bachelor of science, a master's in psychology and a PhD in neuroscience. And so that's kind of, I mean, I don't know if there was a particular day where I was like, ah, like epiphany moment, or it was just kind of this gradual theme that I became quite interested in and passionate about. But it's something, you know, we often talk about child development and let's focus on how baby turns out, but we're not talking or learning so much about what parents do. And, and this study we did in language development was so cool because the parents were doing stuff to actually, they didn't realize how they were paralleling the needs of the child as they're learning words. Mm. So the parents were actually, um, cause kids learn words, you know, they don't like two things, for example, to have the same proper names. So two Jodies would be like odd. So the parents without even knowing it will be, Oh, that's like tall Jody and that's short Jody or something. So they often will add a specifier. Um, so this was really fascinating to see how there's this component we're not looking at, uh, that helps with child development, this parent component, if you want to call it that. But then also how, how does parenting it, itself affect the person, the adult, right? And that in itself is very intriguing, at least to me and my colleagues in the field. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into how does parenting affect the adult? Because we're going to get into that whole mommy brain. And the thing I find so interesting about that is I was telling some students yesterday in postnatal, we had a a good group yesterday and they were staying after and we were kind of laughing. They're like, okay, Deb, what are you talking this week? Because I know I'm always doing a podcast. And Mm -hmm. I said, we're going to talk about mommy brain. And they just broke out laughing. And I'm like, (laughs) why? They're like, because one woman's like, I put on two different shoes this morning and I left the house. And so then I went out to the lobby. I'm like, yep, there they are. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. So let's talk about what that means. Cause a lot of people, what was fascinating when I was researching your work, I was really, it was just interesting how it has maybe a negative connotation, mommy brain, but some of the stuff you talked about, there's an increase in certain parts of the brain. So I guess let's dive into what is mommy brain? Yeah. And so this is often what happens when we talk about the brain and motherhood in particular, and probably be more specific. It's more of a mom thing, a birthing parent thing um, we often talk about. And I, I, yeah. So often when we talk about the brain and motherhood or being a, <coughs> a birthing parent, the first thing that comes to mind is this idea of like, I've traded in my neurons for kids. There's like this, this meme that goes around social media often. And there's all sorts of anecdotes about how our brain isn't functioning as well. Um, but it, so for me, I, I can talk about that definitely and, and what we know from the science. But what I would really love is if we think about our brains as moms, as birthing people, as being actually awesome because it does do pretty amazing things. Mm-hmm. So if we don't, I don't like the negative connotation we we give mommy brain um, and I'd love it to be rebranded to something much more positive because your brain does super amazing things. 
when you become a parent and dad, dads and partners brains too, of course, but not, not maybe to the same extent. It doesn't show the same amount of changes as what we see in moms across uh, pregnancy and pregnant people across pregnancy. So, yeah. So this is my, this is one of my big things is let's like learn more about our brains so that we can actually rebrand, rebrand how we think about it. Yeah. But Mommy brain, let's talk about mommy brain because this is like, and these memory changes with motherhood. I think these are quite significant and lots of women will experience some sort of memory change, right? Um, and usually it's, they feel they have poorer memory. This is the big thing that comes up. And so what the science says, in fact, is if, if we look at the studies, although there's not very many of them, there's a couple themes that come out. One is for sure there seems to be on certain tests of memory. So memory is quite complex and diverse, but on things like um, remembering words for things or um, trying to remember something, say, from this morning, you know, kind of a short-term memory, there can be a slight deficit during late pregnancy and perhaps the early postpartum period in this type of memory. So, Nothing that would impact daily functioning, impact ability to uh, perform a job or anything like this. But there's there's something there the science is starting to tell us. What's interesting is there's lots of studies that actually show also that there's no differences between uh, a pregnant person and a non-pregnant person and their ability to do memory tests. One thing I find interesting is often the individuals come into the lab to do these tests. Um, and one study that I was part of, we had also the participants, the pregnant and non-pregnant people, have to do something in their home um, a week down, you know, a week after they visited the lab. And they had to do a, a, remember to call the lab back or mail something in. And in fact, that's where you started to see the differences in the pregnant and the non-pregnant women was the pregnant ones were forgetting to do those tasks from home. So for me, I think there's something about our environment that might be playing a role in, in our everyday memory functioning and, you know, what we talk about often is that we are forgetting lots of things as, as moms, as pregnant people and, and postpartum. But in fact, when you sit down and have the space in, in the lab in a quiet area, you can do quite well on most memory tests that are standardized and given to um, participants. So that's, a, I think, a big thing we need to think about and talk more about. Does that kind of that makes a lot of sense? So again, I'm not coming at this with any science. I'm just listening and thinking. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like the first thing that popped into my head is distraction. When you're when you're yeah. a new parent, there is a lot of new stimulation in your space. And as a pregnant folks at the end, there's a lot of anticipation. And so it's interesting that when you were saying at home, that environment compared to a quiet lab, and you didn't see as much difference between the pregnant and postpartum brain and the non-pregnant person. I'm just so curious about, like, we're just overstimulated. There's just too much on our plate to make our brain function in the same way. Again, I have no science background. I'm just literally thinking logically as I'm hearing you. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is an idea that we need to kind of piece apart a bit more, but I think I agree that there's something about the environment at home, the to-do list, the cognitive mental load that is um, interfering with the ability to remember or feeling like you're, you're capable of doing things, or maybe your list is just too long, right? And your brain's like, ugh, I can't deal with it all. But I think we need to get at that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a couple other um, points that I also like to throw out there. Sure. There's a recent study that showed in pregnant people and non-pregnant people, they had to remember either, you know, furniture items or baby related items. And in fact, the pregnant people and the non-pregnant people did really well on the memory tests in general, but the pregnant people had better memory for the baby specific items. Huh. Yeah. That's where their focus is. Yeah. So this is what makes sense to me looking at the neuroscience research and what we know about how our brain changes in preparation to and while learning to care for a baby is that I like to think of it as perhaps there's this a bit of a shift, right? There's a shift in what's important and what your brain is focusing on because the idea is to ensure that that nine months you've invested in making a baby, actually you have the ability to make sure baby survives without you. Right. So, I mean, this makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that there's some changes that are going on in in your brain in this case to ensure that the baby will survive. So your focus is going to shift towards things that are important for caring for the baby. Right. At least this is an idea, right? Which seems to to make sense. That makes a lot <laughs> of sense. So let's think about if somebody knows that as they get further into pregnancy and postpartum, they know they may get a little bit more forgetful. How do you do? You think there's a way that somebody could prepare for that, or how do you think knowing this would help the transition into parenthood? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to realize there's lots of changes going on. And so there's a healthy range of perhaps changes in memory, changes in emotions that are quite normal during pregnancy and the postpartum period. I I think when it comes to memory and feeling forgetful, I mean, there's always, and even with emotions that seem to be getting a little bit too all over, there's some key things I always think are important to check in that are basics, but they're really good for our brain health. So sleep, like how is your sleep going? Can you get a little bit more? Um, you know, movement, exercise, this is really healthy being outside. Can you get a few more steps in? How does that look for you? What about your eating, right? Are you feeding your body and your brain? Okay. Like, have you had something fresh and colorful, um, non-processed lately? And then have you had time, downtime, relaxed time, enjoyment time? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we forget that these are really basic elements that we forget to focus on that can really feed our brains and our bodies. And I think it's really important. Of course, you can't do them all or you can't change them all and they're all not going to be perfect or how you envision they should be. But if you can modify even one a little tiny bit, mm-hmm. um, and just start there, that can really make a difference. That makes but often, sense. Yeah. Often this also takes into account, you also have to decrease your cognitive load. Like, is your to-do list really too big? Right? Sometimes I think, can we modify that as well? 
Um, yeah. So let's go back to environment. So we were talking about the environment of a, of a household with a new baby, which let's face it, that's utter chaos. So what are ways that we can maybe control that better? Because I'm assuming, as you mentioned, it's going to impact the memory of the new parent. So how can we, how does that environment and how can we help the new parent in that utter chaos? Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that's really important to remember is that your brain is actually getting geared to learn to parent and parenting is all about making mistakes and learning. So I think it's also important to go in there with like, this is a learning time. I'm going to have to figure it out. You know, this is also an important perspective uh, to go in with that. But yeah. Okay. It is chaotic having a baby number one. And then if you had two and you know, things get crazy in the house. So how do you protect maybe your health or your time or your, your brain health? I mean, and reserve time for you. This is a, I mean, this is a difficult question with probably different answers, let's say, depending on what you have as resources. But I think one thing that's really important is, is that, you know, to partners who are listening the partners kind of also become quite active, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, parent as well, their brains will change too. And having at least two adults is, can be beneficial. Ideally, I was chatting with um, someone recently, and she said she thinks that we should have three adults for every baby in the household, which makes sense, right? Someone can sleep, someone can take care of baby, and someone can clean or what have you. So I think using having a support system is really helpful. Uh, if you have access to that, I mean, sometimes expecting and accepting that there's going to be chaos can also give a lot of, uh, relief because you just know it's not going to go as planned. So Mm -hmm. lowering expectations could be really helpful. Um, I like yeah. the lowering expectations. That actually came up. So as we were talking in postnatal class yesterday, when we were talking about the mommy brain, someone did actually say, she's like, I used to be the, well, I think she's probably, from my opinion, still a little type A, but she's like, I used to be so type A and always in control of everything. She's like, I just let my house completely go and it feels really good. I'm very curious to see what her idea of let her house completely go. But there was that that surrender that sounded like was happening and just kind of loosening the grip that I bet probably helps when things are chaotic. Yeah. And I definitely, and I think that's part of like the to-do list, like getting rid of a bunch of stuff that's not really necessary. Where can you let go? Where can you have other people step in and realize that you, it's, yeah, you're going to have, okay, a messy house. If you can't live with a messy house, then, and that's going to be a priority to make sure it's clean, then okay, deal with that. You're going to have to let something else go, but lowering expectations. I mean, often I remember thinking back to when I had mine, my first, and then I had two under two, in fact, uh, which is always a bit (laughs) bit fun, let's say, (laughs) but, uh, often it was just like getting through the day, right? The goal was just like, everyone get through the day and have an okay time. Let's do it. Yeah. And that's like, that's number one. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. My husband, who's a therapist, always says that at some point, some ball is going to drop. Like, we just have to let that happen. Mm-hmm. So some of your research, I thought, was really interesting. You talk about how the brain gets rewired to feel that pull of caring for the new baby and then continue with that motivation to continue to care for the new child, even decades later. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think we like to think of this maybe in the parental brain world as like this parental brain neurocircuitry coming online. So that's where there's these, there's a lot of different brain areas that we use every day when we're not having kids as well, but they work together once baby arrives to learn how to parent and to help us as parents um, modify our behavior and respond to baby and learn how to respond to baby. So we talk about this neural circuit that kind of comes into play where we're really a lot of different brain areas um, important for things like motivation and emotional regulation and decision-making and the ability to kind of understand what another person needs or what the baby needs in the, at this period of time. These all kind of come online and have to work together. It's, you know, I like to think of it as this it's really a complex uh, interaction between these different brain areas and as a function of this relationship with baby. So the idea is that if this comes into play and then, you know, it's going to be modified. Like your brain is going to continually be modified, your parental brain in response to your child's needs. This is the idea, right? Your baby's developing and they're going to need other things. You're going to respond to that and learn what they need. And, and it's going to continue kind of to evolve with time. And I think that that's really interesting to think about because sometimes we think, oh, well, I have mom brain, I'll have it forever. And in fact, no, that kind of forgetfulness around that time, you know, five years, you're not going to have that feeling most likely. There's going to be other things to focus on or other changes with your child and with you that that are happening in your brain um, and that are needed for you to parent as well. So I like to think of it as this, like, I don't know, evolving type of neurocircuitry, like this changing brain uh, that's there to respond to the needs of your child. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you've mentioned a little bit about uh, the partner or the dad, maybe even adoptive parents. I want to dive into that. We're going to take a super quick break. So when we come back, let's talk about it's not just the person that birthed that baby, but the family around that has some change in the brain. So we'll be right back. Okay, so we are back. So how does having a baby affect the brain of an adopted parent or a partner or a dad? Yeah, I think this is a really great area of research that's been taking place more and more over the past probably five years or so. Um, we don't have very much research at all on adoptive parents, and we need much more. Um, but what I will tell you is what we're starting to see is very similar changes in um, individuals who are parenting, who are active with their, their babies, similar brain changes. So in dads, we know that there's a lot of these brain areas, like I talked about, the parental brain areas. Mm-hmm. They're, they're also activated in dads, um, who's, and in particular, they can be just as active as you see in moms, depending on the amount of time they spend with baby. So we ha- don't have enough studies in this area where we compare you know, the, the birthing parent and the non-birthing parent and their time with baby as a function of how their brain changes. We need more research on this, but we're starting to see that it really has to do with experience in the dads and partners um, 
And possibly this is what we would expect in the adoptive parents as well. The amount of time you're engaged with baby, it's helping your brain to learn how to be with baby and to be modified in response to the baby's needs. And so experience really matters in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important for non-birthing parents to realize is that experience is key and, and that's key for birthing parents as well. But it's really key to help you to figure out what to do and help your brain to learn what it's supposed to do so you can parent. Does the brain keep changing for each child to say someone has one, two, three, four, five, like, does it keep like each child just changes the brain even more? Yeah, this is a good question. (laughs) So I, I mean, we don't have a whole lot of research on this. I actually did part of um, some research on this when I was doing my PhD thesis, I used uh, animal models uh, because I was interested in looking at neurogenesis as something more specific, uh, production of new neurons that we can't see in human brains. Anyway, uh, we looked at, or I looked at first and second time moms, and you, you know, you see, you probably, depending on what we're looking at, we're seeing probably the greatest changes the first time around, but definitely, and we really need more research on this. I know I've already said that. I feel like I say it too much, but I would anticipate that there are differences with each child. Um, but perhaps the greatest ones are with the first, the first time you parent, you're going to see the greatest changes, but yeah, I mean, there is some research showing that the number of children you've had is associated how your with how your brain functions, um, into your seventies. If you're a mom, Mm. for example. Oh, wow. So Yeah, so there's a little bit of research linking number of kids with brain health or brain function later in life, but we just don't have uh, all the details yet. So I'm just so curious. So you're saying, okay, number of kids, brain health later in life. Does it make your brain healthier later in life or does it make it? (laughs) Yeah. So there's a couple of research. So there's one study, I think, looking at people about in their probably 50s to 60s, their parents. So their their kids must be, I don't know if they had the age of the kids, but their kids were a bit older, right? And they showed that the brain um, actually appears younger huh. in parents than non-parents. In particular, this was in, they only looked in birthing parents in, in mothers, but this it's a younger profile and they use machine learning to do some algorithms. I don't know exactly the complexities of it all, but they look at the these brain images and then they can do these calculations. So about in this research, it was about half a year younger. So it's not like you're 10 years younger, your brain isn't 10 years younger, but there's something going on in the brain years after having children um, that seems to be healthy potentially. Um, And then there's other research into the seventies showing that definitely there's more benefits to brain, perhaps healthiness. I'm going to say that quote unquote, because I think more research is really needed to, to understand how having kids can benefit our brain health. But there definitely is a, an effect on the functioning of the brain, particularly in the study that looked at the 70 year olds was in the mother, the person who identified as the mother and, you know, was the primary caregiver most likely um, compared to the, the dad. So, so there's something there that's really interesting to suggest that the number of kids you have can improve your health. There's some research showing that maybe having three or four is optimal 
apparently, but I think we need more research to to really find the optimal number or to really understand that actually makes me laugh because i I mean i totally respect those that have three or four i have two and it i could not imagine my brain actually functioning better with i know some people absolutely can handle three or four kids i feel like if you threw more kids into this household my brain would function worse but that could just be me some people might absolutely have it under control so it just made me chuckle a little when you said three or four i'm like wow that yeah. takes a special person I, and a very powerful brain. I, yeah, I know, right? Because I, I mean, I have, well, I have a friend uh, who has seven, and then I'm like, wow, wow this is amazing, right? Um, and how healthy is she going to be? How long is she going to live? Who knows? But I think it also depends on other factors. You know, our brain is also responding to our environment every day, and not just if we have kids or not. Right. So there's lots of different factors that can affect how our brain is functioning, our brain health. But it is really interesting to think about this relationship with our kids that can can play a role for the rest of our lives on how our brain is. That is so interesting. So I want to go back a little bit about something you were saying about kind of the positive and negative ideas about mm-hmm. our brain. So I was reading one of your articles, so I wrote this out because I knew I would mess up the quote. You say, mom brain should symbolize all the amazing things our brain is doing to ensure our little one survives. And the reason I love that is because, as you mentioned, sometimes we kind of fall into the negative of parenting, but this puts a really positive spin on on the, the mom brain instead of like, wah, wah, I have mom brain. It's like that negative parenting culture. Can you talk a little bit more about the amazing positives of mom brain? Yeah. So, I mean, this goes along with this idea that we need to rebrand how we think about our brains when our moms. And this is where like, you're keeping a baby alive. You're learning how to parent. You're learning how to respond to that baby. You're learning how to make decisions to figure out some cues. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff you're doing that you don't actually know you're doing. And I think that's where we, that's the problem is this stuff is just like you're, you're doing it, but it's not like you're quantifying it or understanding that you're doing it. For example, there's this great study. I always love bringing up this study, um, where a mom, a few hours or about two hours after birth, she was given a choice of three babies' hands. So one was her baby, one was another baby and another unfamiliar baby. So she had a choice of three hands and she could identify her baby just by touching the back of her baby's hand. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is actually your brain. This is memory, right? Um, this is something that we don't, I mean, we don't think about or notice. And so I think there's a lot of those little subtle things that are happening. They're pretty amazing um, that happen in moms. And they also did this, this similar study or the same study with dads after he six or eight hours afterwards. And it was a very similar finding that the parent could identify their own infant just by touching the back of the infant's hand. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is pretty wild, right? I mean, it speaks to all these things that are going on, probably a ton of them that we don't actually notice as parents at all. And that our brain is like sorting out and remembering and picking up and, and doing so that we make sure the baby is going to survive and we're going to know our baby. So that's where this is like, we need to start thinking about how amazing our brain is because it's giving us the capability to ensure that a baby is going to survive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the essence of, 
of really what I want us to remember our brain is doing. So yes, we're going to maybe forget some things. Yes. That's going to feel kind of crappy. Um, but then what about remembering all those other things that you're remembering and just, you know, the fact that you are keeping baby alive, like that's a significant thing. I totally agree. So you have a book, Mommy Brain. Is there anything that you want to share from that book that I didn't ask about? Yeah. I mean, so I have my book. I'm hoping it will be in English soon. So it's in French. I know. Cause you know, as I got prepared for this, I'm like, I will get her book. And then I went to do that. I'm like, Oh no, I won't. Um, cause it's in French. Yeah. So I'm, uh, so I had to read all your articles short, instead. Yeah. I, I wrote it in the, I wrote it in English. It was adapted for the French and I'm hoping to have an English version out. So a couple of things I want to, uh, bring up is number one is that we didn't talk about this whole idea that our brain is shrinking across pregnancy. And I think that we should clarify that um, because this comes up quite a bit that people are like, have seen, you know, the headlines, your brain does change in size across pregnancy. It does decrease in size, um, but that's actually associated with positive feelings towards your infant and, and bonding. And it's not been associated with any memory changes. So there is this kind of idea. We like to talk about it as a fine tuning of your brain. So there's this decrease in volume of about 1% in certain brain areas important for parenting. This happens across pregnancy only in pregnant people, not in their partners. Uh, although there is some changes in, in the partner's brains too, a, a decrease in volume, not to the same extent. Does it come back? This, yeah, so we don't know that it comes back, at least in this line of research, they haven't shown it come back yet in these specific areas at six years is the last time point they've looked at these individuals. But it's really this idea that it's, it, it, you know, it's a fine tuning mm-hmm. of the brain. It's not it's less like sloshing off what it's like a, it's like, what was it? There's, um, when you slosh off the, the dead skin, you're like, I don't need this anymore. Like the loofah yeah. pads, it's like a loofah pad for your brain. Yeah. It's like cleaning it up. So it's like functioning and knows what it's doing. I like that. Freaking yeah. efficient. Yes. It becomes more efficient. So we, we have a review out on this and it, like we called it less is more or less can be more, I think was the title because it's really important to, to understand that yes, there are these structural changes, but they're beneficial and they're healthy and it's, it's, a normal. So that's one thing I want to clear up. Also, I want to say that these are structural changes and then your brain in, when we do human research, there's also functional changes. And so it's the function. This is, these changes are increased in response to your baby, particularly in the postpartum period and as a function of time spent with baby. So these are things I think just to, to clear up so that you've got structural changes, functional changes, both are happening and both are important and super healthy for your brain. Hey, we're putting that back into the positive part of mommy brain instead of just the negative. We're re- again we're going for that rebranding. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, really exactly. am fascinated by by the uh, the loofah of the brain. <laughs> really... The loofah of the brain. There we go. And the <laughs> other thing is, is you know, often when we think of these memory changes, or one thing that comes up for me quite a bit when I I think about this research is we have a history of as women in particular, to be not um, seen as smart. And I often wonder if that history often makes us more aware of um, when we're forgetful. 
and and it makes us more sensitive to it. This is an idea out there, but you know, there's definitely a lot of sexism around intellect mm-hmm. and and we grow up in, you know, these environments often where we're not encouraged to be intelligent. So when we start to feel like we're not as intelligent as we we usually are, we might be emphasizing or focused on that. I don't, this is an idea that's out there also that, you know, kind of ties in with this negative mummy brain uh, um, idea that needs to be rebranded. So, yeah. I like I that we're rebranding the mommy brain. All right, yeah. we're going to take another break. But when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer a new and expectant parents? And you could put your mom hat on for this. You could put your neuroscience hat on, put your therapist hat on for this, however you want to think about answering this. We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. So what would you like to leave our listeners with? Oh, this is a good one. Oh my goodness. Like, okay. Cause I have my neuroscience hat on and then I have my mom <laughs> hat on and then I have my, <laughs> my life hat on. Um, I think that's a good one. The life hat's actually very important. I think. <laughs> yeah. Like the me part. Um, yeah, this is a good one. So, okay. A couple of things that come up are, you know, you got this, your brain will sort it out just to give it some time. So I really feel like, you know, sometimes we, we get into too much, there's too much pressure about how to do things when I think we, we've got it. And we often have to have just trust that we can sort it out of course with information and support, but also understanding that there's an element to parenting, or at least for me personally, for mothering where I had to own how I was going to do it. It was just going to be my way. And that's what works for me. And I think that's really important to, to have this, you know, develop this, this confidence in what you're doing or be confident that you can do it. And you can, your brain is sorted out to to figure it out. Um, you can do it. You can't do it all. So you also need support. And I think that's really important. And you know what, you don't always have to wear your mom hat all the time. Uh, I think it's also important to do other things and, and remember that there's a, you know, there's other parts to you that need to be developed. It might take some time for those pieces and those parts to see their, their time in the sun after the first, uh, and hopefully after the first few months or, you know, you can start to, to develop them again. But the first few months of parenting is intense, right? And your brain has to sort it out, learn it. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn from those mistakes. And just kind of go with it and figure out what works for you, not what you should do, but what actually does work for you. I think that's important. Those are really great tips. Where can people find your work? You can find me on my website, jodypaluski.com. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Jody Paluski, on Twitter at Jody Paluski. And yeah, that's where you can find me. When do you have any sense of when your book will come out in English? No, I don't. Unfortunately, um, it's a tough one. I, I need um, a publisher, actually. If you if you have a publisher, <laughs> I don't. But you never know who's listening. <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's ready to go, or it will be in a couple of weeks. We're just I'm just updating the English version to reflect the French one, and then 
Um, we just need to sort out how to best get that out in English as soon as possible. So when it comes out, you let me know so that we can update the show notes and that we can Definitely. make sure we have a link because I think people have probably listened to this and be like, give me more information. So I'll make sure that we link to that. Yeah. This has been so wonderful. I'm just so smitten with the idea of rebranding, <laughs> rebranding oh, the, the mommy brain. Like that just makes me, that makes me smile instead of feel kind of down about it. So thank you for sharing that. Yes. No, thank you. I think we do need to rebrand it. We, it's amazing what your brain does. So let's, let's celebrate let's it. Acknowledge it. Celebrate it. Definitely. Thank you so much, Jody. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.